Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris minus Scott Lease today on the Serpent Sales Podcast. He had to step out at the last minute, but we are super excited. Um, and by we, I mean me and myself um, are super excited to have Amy Rovacek. Well, you're not the only one that's excited, Richard. I'm excited uh, too. And that was very good. Like that was, that was, I mean, at least a 6.5, 7, 7 go. even. And that was me practicing with you. Yeah. Like, yeah, I had to, audience, I had to like say, Richard, like I, I, I let go of having my name pronounced well, like in second grade. So, you know, oh, please yeah. don't stress on my account. Uh, no worries. No worries. Um, and she is the host of the Revenue Real podcast, which is coming out soon. Uh, well, it's, it's supposed to be today. It will be today, uh, but sadly, all-nighters, they worked better in college. What's that? I said all-nighters worked better in that's, college. Yeah, today, I'm just like, all-nighter. Like, you know, who's still pulling all-nighters? I, you know what? It's, I have no excuse. I have no excuse. I, I already told you about the dark rabbit hole with the, with the music and the LA friend and trailers and... Yeah. Yeah, I just I I didn't have any willpower. It was it was a terrible thing, and you know you make your choices, and then you you know carry on with your day. So we've we've known each other a while now. We've spoken on several you know offline conversations about sales and life and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, yeah just sort of you know, backtracking from from even the podcast for a moment. Mm-hmm. When did you realize you liked sales? When did you realize you liked chasing the revenue? <laughs> Well, I was raised by a salesperson in New Jersey. And so there's that. Um, but my dad has since had since pivoted. He's got a brokerage, right? And so, and it was that way since I was in at least like a freshman in high school. And so I grew up around my dad putting together like the most incredible like training and empowerment programs for sellers. Um, I, of course, you know, wasn't going to do what my dad did and had a whole Oh, this is my, my, my dog. She's, she's, oh, oh, I, I wasn't, um, she, we'll talk about who has who trained later, Richard, but anyway, I was going to be in politics. I was going to be either a lobbyist or a campaign manager. And I was, I won a competition in high school for model Congress. And I was both fortunate and, and, you know, privileged to have access to that competition. But I also was that competitive and I want Speaker of the House. Went to school in DC. I, and so, you know, everything was on track. And my first job um, out of school was a gubernatorial race in, in New Jersey. And like, oh my gosh, now she's going to want to go outside. Hold on. I will, she'll have to wait. Lola, you, you have to wait, love bug. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's hard, um, but we'll all hear her whining just so, cause we've got a really fancy microphone here. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll mute it a little bit, but anyway, so I um, had worked on actually 15 campaigns. I was on the community organizing side um, before the gubernatorial race, but I was working in the primaries. It was the summer after graduating and Richard, our guy lost a loss in the primaries and I'll never forget the feeling like everybody on the campaign, everyone, like, so what happens in politics all the time is just as one, um, one candidate's, you know, operations shut down, the other dudes like doubles in size, the same ticket. And so I remember the feelings of watching like all the, my peers just put, gather their things, put them into boxes all at the same time and literally pick up their boxes and go to the other candidate. 
And I remember, maybe I was just like young or idealistic in this moment, but I just could not fathom this idea like how like we've been working and you you get invested in like the platform and the candidate and like not that guy he's the he's the not the enemy but like this is this is our target and uh yeah to just like drop that in an instant and switch sides I knew in that moment that I I couldn't do it it wasn't I didn't want to live that way and so that was a, a hard moment. However, I was very intentional with my, my pivot into sales and it's a little bit deeper. And there's like good stories here about how I sought out at the time, the best sales training program in the country, did a lot of research and it was ADP. And so ADP, um, they had three, they have three divisions. I still do. Right. So national accounts, major accounts, small business services, Small business services is where like all the kids go and you're knocking on doors, right? Replacing payroll. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And so I started stalking out uh, national accounts and major accounts. National laughed at me, obviously, but major uh, gave me a, a, a college try, which was good. It was excellent. So I started selling tech, hardware and software, biometric hand scanners at 24 and youngest person on the floor by a lot, only woman. And never left. So I did the IC thing for what about a, 10 what years. What appealed to you about it? Like what, aside from the fact your dad was there, right? You could have gone in a lot of directions coming out of politics. Was it because you know this industry a little bit more? To your point, you were exposed to it. Like what, what even drew you to sales? If you were, like being exposed to it means you avoid it. Like, let's be serious about that. Um, well, it was a, it was a, it was a conversation that I had with my dad. Hold on, I got to let her out. She's going to keep doing this. Sorry, audience. Hold on one second. Come on. Okay. Okay. So I um, had a conversation with my dad. Like it was one of those like heart to hearts. And, you know, I, my dad said that there's two types of workers out there. There are work processors and work producers. Work processors, they tend they they take a pile of papers or you know something and move it from point A to point B. This could be as high level as like a financial analyst who is you know receiving you know a bunch of numbers on Monday or at the beginning of the month and you know doing reports and what what have you, presenting back. Same thing with an order at McDonald's, right? You're processing the customer through the order process to get the food and then on their way. And then my dad said that the other type of worker out there is a work producer and work producers learn how to create, know how to create something from nothing. And when you develop, if you choose this and when you develop these skills, not only will you make like at least five times the money, but those skills will transfer into everything that you do moving forward. And that was, that was it. That was it. That was it. That's good. That, and he's right. He's hundred percent right. So I, Richard, how long did it take you to, how long did you to go? Okay, dad, you're right. <laughs> uh, like last month. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know what, if we're, if we're being frank, one ADHD person to another, like right. it, it varies by the, by the hour. <laughs> totally. Totally. So by the way, so what is your dog's name? Lola. Which means we have two things in common. You're kidding. We have a dog named Lola. You're kidding. What well, kind of dog? What kind of? Cavapoo. 
<gasps> Richard, you're kidding me. That is what Lola is. Get it out of town. Are you messing with me right now? Please tell that's me. Like, hilarious. So that's the first thing. The other is we the model Congress, right? I did the model Congress and the model UN and all those things back in high school. So I, I appreciate where you went there. Although so I never wanted to go into politics. I just we, Can I ask you a question? So what was your, did, when you were competing, they have different styles. Like, were you in a school that allowed you to go four years in a row or was it just for seniors or an after school program? It was, uh, I think it was juniors and seniors for us. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, same. But it was fun. It was a good time. So so talk to us. So so you went into ADP, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, How long were you there? I was not there that long. I was there for about like (sighs) a year and a half, but I, you know, I remember my big win there and it's very connected to why I'm so particular about um, the way that the business of sales frames, uh, I don't know, lead gen, opportunity sourcing, what have you. And so the win, the big one, do you mind if I share the big one from me? Go for it. Everybody wants to hear the big sale. Okay. Well, it wasn't a big sale. It was even better than that. Um, I started thinking that you know, I, so we were selling again, time entry systems before the cloud, right? Software. And then the, the biometric hand scanners was like, and mind you, everybody, I was, I started navigating to my sales calls with MapQuest printouts and still recalled the joy with the TomTom on the dashboard. Um, but anyway, so I, uh, had this idea that, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder which like government entity is responsible for time and labor violations of companies. And then I I went and found out, and then I was like, I wonder if I submit a list for all the companies that got hit in my territory the year prior for for time and labor violations, they got fined. And so I did. And two weeks, or it was like a long time, it was like two months later, I was like one of those old school, like rolled papers with a wax paper. And I got a list of like 200 some odd companies in my territory that got fined the year prior. And so created like a whole marketing campaign um, that did not disclose to them that I, I knew of their unfortunate um, circumstances the year prior, because you know who wants to start oh. a relationship off like that? And yeah, that was the, I, I, don't, even, I don't even share how, what percentage of that list converted because it just, you could see the tears like well right. up in people's eyes. So, so, so you went from there and so, so it was a government deal, right? No, I, I submitted to a government agency for a list of FOIA, Freedom oh, of Information Public Records. So you did your research. Okay, that's, no, that's super. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so I... Uh, Okay, what were you gonna say? So anyway, I, w- I was gonna pull you out of this and go to the next topic, but but if there was something else you wanted to add, I don't want to. No, add. no, please, by all means, lead away. So, because you, so you went from ADP, then you went to Citibank, and then you went to Thomson Reuters. Mm-hmm. Right? So you your experience in sales was ridiculously good, big company, right? At Until least, yeah, right on logo, right? So. How did well, you, you have to look after that since I it was, uh, oh, we'll get there. Okay. 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 So how do you feel like the training was in each of those places? Like what were the, what were the highlights? If you, if I said to you, what were the three things you loved about how they trained salespeople or three things I learned at Thomson Reuters? What do you think that would be? 
So ADP was easy, right? But I like sought them out and stalked them. Like they're just put that, like that was not, there was nothing accidental. My favorite part about that was we were assigned a mentor really for like a, the greater part of a year. And um, Henry Niemczek was was the guy and he actually just reached out to me like two weeks ago. It was like the, the happiest day in a long time. Anyway, so like just the sheer joy. But at, at, at Thomson Reuters, it was an exceptional place because, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know how to describe it. I was surrounded by masterful sellers and account managers and the buyers, the clients, like, were so smart. Like, I- What do you think master, what do you even think those things were aside from, you know, years of experience and those kinds of things? Like, what are the things you've learned? <laughs> Richard, my, my, my final, like my last three years there, it was 150% of plan, 200% of plan, 300% of plan. In my final year, I hit a hundred in like February. So Jed Quattro, who is currently the VP at um, Adirant, which is a, a big, um, I forget, it's like a financial law firm system. Anyway, they were, Adirant was actually a uh, Vista equity partners group. Like what's the big one? Come, Foundation? Back, come back to the question. Whatever, whatever. So Jed, was the master and he was the main. So I was in an adjacent business unit next to Westlaw. And to say that we started off as like a, I, like a redheaded stepchild, that, that wouldn't be a strong enough description of, you know, what we're like court express, like sending runners to courts where, where that landed. But I um, was brought in by the director and so court runners, right? Physically a law firm needs papers from the court. Um, and so in New York City, though, these are the big firms that are sending like helicopters across the city to like move a carton of boxes. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge, though, with our business unit is that the year prior uh, or maybe like two or three years prior, New York's um, e-filing system became mandatory, which means every court case that fought was filed no longer needed runners. And so to say that we were hemorrhaging running revenue would have like, yeah, anyway, we William Barth found me, Richard, on Craigslist, actually. And it was the weirdest, strangest thing. And Amy, like, Amy, Amy, Amy. Yeah. What did he teach you? Like you're winding I'm up. I'm sharing. I'm sharing that I'm about to say. So William Barth taught me how to just get it done. He had like he had tried to hire two people through the Westlaw, like recruiting channels. And anyway, so <laughs> to go, say of like a director on it, Thomson Reuters was, was going to Craigslist. Like that was the type of man he was. And he taught me about speed, status, and experience. And specifically with status. Um, so those were the three, like that was the three, the tagline at the beginning and status, like bad news does not get better with time. And I learned how to lean into communicating bad news in a way that really differentiated me. Um, the second part was when we finished that first year at a thousand percent of plan, I begged him to take over the, um, all the electronic court data for all of Thomson Reuters. And he agreed. And so over the course of the next like two and a half, three years, we spun out like eight data products um, with flawless execution. So 100% success, which is exceptionally difficult to do in legal because anytime you're selling something that, that is like an efficiency gain, 
um, or what have you, you're up against the business model, right? So take as long as humanly possible to do everything. Anyway, so that was cool, right? Rolling out um, lots of products in a short period of time with like a massive budget. I miss that unlimited Amex card. Um, the other thing that he taught me or that the experience taught me was what it felt like to play on a professional basketball team. And what I mean by that is when I look at some of the average win rates of, of sales floors right now, and it's like, I, I mean, <laughs> I know we have, you know, which company I'm talking about, so I'm not going to say it, but um, the, the idea when I look at like a, a team win rate that's under 20% for inbound leads, just to take one example, that like legit means you're setting the team up to lose, right? 80% of the time. And so when I talk with sellers and coach sellers about how to make smart decisions about where to go, I encourage them to ask about the collective win rate because it gives some context into, you know, what level of, of selling what team you're on, right? There's a big difference between JV so basketball. Your, that's your interview advice is like, be sure to ask about the collective win rate as, as, as an interview question or just as they're, you're coaching them to progress their own career and as, as you moved on to enablement, like where, where are you suggesting? Well, that? both, it never stops. But in this instance, we're talking about playing on a team of people that are also professional basketball players, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, I, I mean, I say this all the time and sadly I have to because the filter bubble in in, <laughs> in Silicon Valley land is, is fierce. It's absolutely fierce. And so I, in many ways it's, the bar is very low in this instance. And so I have to remind people that, you know, if you are aspiring to be one of the greats and to do that quickly or, you know, as quickly as possible, then doesn't it make sense? Or, you know, which, which chant or which uh, team do you think you'd have a better chance of, of becoming a pro on, you know, a JV basketball team or, you know, a D1 college program. So, yeah, this is great. Like, I, I love that, right? Like, I love the, the things that you've said so far, which are, I just want to, you know, reiterate them for people is like understanding speed, status, and experience. Uh, I love this quote of bad news does not get better with time. So lean in. William um, Barth, baby. That's all right. William Barth. And then uh, always question the internal win rate. Is that how you phrase it? The internal? Not question, just be aware of yeah. and be aware that there's, you know, uh, a big, beautiful world out there with lots of pro basketball teams. Not yeah. all of them are, you know. No. Yeah, not all Golden State Warriors, right? Now I get it. So, so you move from big company, right? Like, so you learned these amazing things. You learned what I call the polish, right? Like, I never went to big company, right? And so I think you, you, got, you got mentored in the right ways. Um, I could probably go back and ask, like, how amazing was it to have a mentor your first year at ADP? Like, that's... It was incredible. It's funny though, that you said polished because the two, so I was like a novelty at that point. I was like a kid and like this guy, you know, like I, uh, they had this, it was a tough interview process, but I, I don't think I've ever been prouder of a talk that I gave to win that job. But anyway, I, there were two guys, the top two guys in the office were vying for the position of mentor. And everyone was kind of pushing me towards this dude, Chris, who, and I don't remember his last name. Sorry, Chris, if you ever randomly hear this. Um, but he had the polished 
vibe, right? That was, and then I, I like Henry and I looked at the numbers and Henry was like, you know, <laughs> light years ahead of everybody. Um, but Henry was a fucking hustler. Are we allowed to curse on here? Whatever the fuck you want to say. Henry was a hustler and it was fun. It, you know, it's, I chuckle now looking back on that time because you would think that someone would go for the, the polish, but I went for the, you know, come in early and he, I learned about time blocks and I learned how to, you know, what time to be on the sales floor so that nobody would talk to you or bother you so that you could get your work done. And, you know, it just, they taught you a good process. They taught you how to understand a process and build a good process and why that process matters, it seems like. Well, that came from my dad. You know, the fundamentals, the foundations, the building blocks, that that was, it's uh, it's something that, I love. it's one of my favorite things to break down in one of the podcast episodes. It's called Day Cracks the Talent Code. And we go deep, deep into, uh, as a new SDR, like the process of learning and teaching the fundamentals. And, you know, for him, he got called a prodigy when he was on, on Friday, Francois was very excited with him. But anyway, so it was, that was dad. I wouldn't say that I, um, I don't know, maybe I just was there already. Yeah. Um, but you know what, Richard, like, honestly, and I think a lot of people that have done well in this profession would agree that there is so much like self-learning that's a part of it. Like there is no, and the person that wants it, like that nothing's going to stop them. And I, I remember, like, I love music. We were just talking about this. I, I gave up music for a year in my car to listen to exclusively books on CDs. Right. And I, like for a year, could you imagine just to, like the yeah. Maxwell's and the Zig Ziglar's and I, I mean, Yep. I love that. What would you give up for a year to be better at your career? That's a great question. Um, it's a great thought. So I, gotta, I totally forgot to do this, but I need to thank our sponsors real quick for Salesforce. Uh, Sales Cloud uh, for joining us. Uh, we've switched from Revenue Cloud to Sales Cloud, which we greatly appreciate. Gong.io and Lead411. And by the way, if you're not doing conversational analysis or analytics or whatever the, the catchphrase is, you're, you're totally missing it with Gong. Is there anybody not using like conversation? Yes. Um, Yes, believe me, Gong wants there to be tons because that means revenue growth, right? So they, you don't want them all to be done yet. So, but I, I want to move. I want to move over to, you know, your career. I'm sort of looking over at your stuff. So you, you eventually moved into enablement, right? You went from well, you're there. skipping over chief of customer value at Viewabill that was acquired, then moving to San Francisco and doing tons yeah, of go to market. I, I want to get into the enablement piece. Okay, okay. So cool things, right? Did cool things, and then you know, was like, okay, now. What am I going to do? So what What made you want to go from, you know, for lack of a better phrase, carrying the bag to moving into an enablement piece, right? Because it's not a, not all great sales reps are great teachers, right? Like we know this. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we know this after we promote them, right? Um, well, now we know it before we promote them. But well, who's who's you, now? Like, what, what, how do you know? What, what kind of information you got going over there, Richard? What do you yeah. know? <laughs> well, now you just know how to interview for it, right? You know. Mm. Uh, you know, them, them sitting in on a couple of interviews and maybe helping the first week does not mean they're good managers. Um, but I did write pretty extensively about this one last, uh, I wasn't shy in there either. It's really no, deep. Look, we all, we all know it. Everybody's in sales leadership knows it. And even sales reps know it too. Oh yeah, but, they do. Oh yeah. But talk to me, like what drew you to enable, right? Like I know again, you were exposed to it with your dad. Well, um, no, I did. I wasn't. I was, that was, he was a broker. He was an owner of a business. He, he was a sales manager. Uh, I had no idea about enablement. He just is someone that knows how to coach both individuals and teams. 
and really focused on, um, you know, development, player development, and which I, what ironically, yeah. what drew you to enable? I like, <laughs> I didn't want to be a sales manager. I knew from a, for a very long time that, that I just, I didn't want to be a sales manager. And that's a really hard thing to come to terms with because what do you do? What do you do with like 10 yeah, years? So, so let's pause there. So what, and this is great because I think a lot of people don't see the difference or they think there's too much overlap. What, a, or they think they have to be a sales manager. What were the things? No, they are- do because that's the only career option we're affording in most places. And uh, it's like, this is why I'm so focused on creating adjacent career yeah, paths. Hold on, hold on. So what, okay. what um, I love working with you because I can just tell you to be quiet. Um, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> it's only because you have ADHD and because we have history, Richard. You, yes. Uh, oh, no, believe me, there's plenty of people I've interviewed where I have no history and I still do the same, but it's more fun with you. So uh, it's not it's not as abrupt. But what um, what are the things about sales management that you, before you, you know, as you were making that decision to say, you know what? I don't like this. I didn't want to do that. And I'm asking in the context for those who are listening for them to go, oh, I hadn't thought about that part. Maybe I do need to see if I like that part. Because some people might like it, some people might not. But what were those things for you? Hindsight being what it was, I just, I think that I don't know. I can't even say that out loud. I I had one great sales manager that at Thomson Reuters, her name was Lisa Barrett. And she she was actually like, uh, there was some politics playing. um, And and then the the dude that whatever became my manager. So I was just, I was not a fan. Anyway, there was that. But also, I, (laughs) Richard, I don't, I prefer to work with top perform I don't know like I just I didn't like I don't have a I'm not a very nurturing person I know that like the whole idea of like gender and biology shit like is not real because I'm not a nurturing person by nature and I just there was that also you know there's a lot of you're in a if you're lucky right you're in a weekly with your manager um and so that's a lot of repetition uh, and experiences with a certain um, whatever. I, I always, I sold differently in that I was very focused on um, like Pareto's principle. I was, I was constantly sourcing for like, what are my 20% activities that are going to get get me 80% of my results. And because of that, um, yeah, I just, I had a very different style of when to start opportunities and when to uh, like how to do touch points and how to like multi-thread through the organization before there were words for it. And I wish like right after Thompson, I, I actually made a beeline for process improvement training. And, and it wasn't until then that I realized that, you know, I had like tested out of math in college, remedial writing for a year, but like I hadn't taken a math class since 18. And I'd been doing the math in my head, which meant that I, I didn't have the words to explain <laughs> the decisions that I was making, right. you know? And so there was that. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like deep and guttural. Like I just did not want to be this stereotypical manager riding people. You, yeah. You- 
did you not want other people to be in control of your compensation that much? No, but like, that's ridiculous. No, of course not. I, what I just described to you were the reasons. And I think a better answer would, or question would be, uh, since we're, we're driving here, why did I, how did I succeed with the pivot or like, how did I get to that well, point? Because there, it was hard. I understand this part first, right? So the things that I heard were, one, you Richard, most managers aren't very good. Most of us have terrible experiences with our managers. It is not a secret. It's not like, and so, yeah, is that really that awful to, or that like, hard, like you're, that's you're what. Also, you're also very self-aware, right? And, you know, like for the fact that, because this is where, again, I think you and I are like, I can't do politics. I can't stand it. Like, I don't have the patience for it. I'm too impatient to play that game of politics. And then the other part that I, I heard you say was, you know, you sort of recognize you're not necessarily the most nurturing person in terms of management, which- well, Okay, so I've, I've managed people, that's a different sure. thing with sales enablement, like- if It's different in sales enablement than a sales manager. You're right. But again, most sales managers are the opposite of nurturing. Most sales managers- But I think-, managers, but, I think but, to your, but to your point, you recognize that that's what a good sales manager was. And you're like, that's not me. Like you were. No, I, I recognize that the ones that I had were, were, I, this sounds terrible, not my dad, right? Obviously. And so it was a hard bar to set, but at the same time, like I was instructed on the fundamentals of selling and like, I understood the science and the art and like I, I did a, at, when I was at City, I put together a talk on how to teach kids about money and started marketing it to mom's groups. Like who right. would, I didn't have children. Like I, like, I can't even believe they listened to me, but I just knew how to find and look for target rich environments like the FOIA. And so I had never experienced, right? Anything like the fundamentals that, that, that I was afforded when learning this profession and yeah and so it was just a very high bar but i wouldn't change anything yeah, about how, do you, it. how do you how do you view then the difference between sales management and the skill it takes there and then the which one which one of the skills because enabled. if we well, so if we look at the Project Oxygen, this was Google's, um, they did that big study and it was two phases. First one was the eight characteristics and then they added two more. Psychological safety was a new one. Out of the eight, one of the lowest ranking cat, like um, characteristics of great managers was technical acumen, which means you promote someone that knows how to do the job. And that out of all the, the factors on in Project Oxygen that were uncovered was a very low ranking one. And so when I look at the way that we promote sales managers, um, that's, that tends to be it. And then there's certainly, there's no investment made to like here, go to this coaching and training program, like learn how to coach individuals and a team. And, you know, then there's tons of factors, right? It's the incessant chasing after unicorns, right? We just got a, you know, $20 million. We need 10 managers. You, you did good list that quarter, right? Come on. Um, but at the same time, you know, we could look at the gender shit that, that plays out. And still to this day, 85% of the, the managers and leaders in the tech sales space are mostly white men. And you could take that even further up to the VCs, right? 97% of venture capital last year was mostly white men. So like, yeah, it's, it's a whole different experience for 
someone who is not uh, a white man, especially in tech, um, that's that's worth considering. And then, yeah, and I don't mean to disparage. Like I understand that there's no disparagement. Like there's like well, so here's the thing, Richard. This is the this is the what you're feeling, right? There is so much research right now on where productivity and performance comes from, right? And when I like autonomy, right, is a big part of it, as is happiness, and like you, you've got to be trying hard not to look at the research um, or be aware. And anyway, then I look at the, the way that we treat SDRs and not only are we giving them the hardest part of this job, but we, we are managing what they do down to the day and task. Like aside from the moral implications of what that does to someone's soul, um, it's like a terrible business decision in that, like if you want productivity, if you want performance and you want well, you to, change what to say? So to those SDR leaders who are listening, right? And it's like, okay, what are the things that I can, because I, and I'm like this, I'm a task manager, right? And I think a lot of sales people are task managers. Like you do the things, you do the fundamentals, you get to the revenue, right? Uh, I disagree with that wholeheartedly, but okay. I was a I was an artist, but I learned the fundamentals, which is a requirement to then be able to create art. So, so how do you do that in the SDR world? How do you give them the right skills, tools, fundamentals, and then also to your point, give them the right level of autonomy? Like, what are the things they should be? More, they should have more autonomy around. <laughs> well, um, it's so funny that you said this because I we just. I've got a full episode on Day Kong Cracks the Talent Code as an SDR. I go into it on Five on Friday. I was fortunate enough to be um, a guest on the day. It was like tips for an, a new SDR just starting out. And so between those two podcasts or those two places where your audience can go listen um, to the way that I explain the learning process for new sellers and, you know, kind of challenge them. Like I, and Niles DeVoe was the name of the young um, black woman that was just getting started on five on Friday. And she was fantastic. I mean, whip smart. And yeah, but give people, so Amy, 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 okay. come back to answer the question. What are the I things did, a manager can do better to give people their autonomy? They can go listen to one of those two things or watch. Um, because it depends. There's so much context and complexity. That's... Something that, like, I'm, I'm okay with you promoting your own podcast. I get it. But there's got to be a nugget or two you can give that doesn't give away the whole podcast. <sighs> okay. The human brain sees a problem and jumps to a solution in like a fucking nanosecond, right? Nanosecond. Yeah. And so when we are, we, we see something that's wrong or whatever, we, we see it and then we know exactly what needs to be done to fix it. Um, and are we gonna ask anybody that's actually experiencing the problem? Like, hey, you know, SDRs, what do you, what do you think? Um, no, but we're just gonna put it in. And by the way, that, that solution is probably very, very likely to be a text purchase because that's far easier than dealing with a process or a people challenge. Anyway, um, that lack of due diligence to suss out the real problem has us all chasing after symptoms indefinitely. 
And the challenge with chasing symptoms is that you feel very busy. And then it's like so perplexing why um, we're not actually moving the needle. And so that would be the first thing that I would encourage your listeners to do is really, um, you know, pretend like you've got a blank sheet of paper and start to ask questions of yourself and of your organization. Like, okay, this is how we set it up. Like, why did we have it set up this way? How did it come to be these ways? And I think the second part to that is like, you know, like experience is a tricky thing, especially when we have wins in the past, because it tends to bias us. And in fact, frankly, who we learn most from our mistakes, but I say that because, you know, like when I have conversations about lead sourcing or lead gen, right? Like you heard about the moms groups, you heard about the FOIA requests, like I'm in a different stratosphere of what's possible mm -hmm. than 99% of the humans that I interact with in, in tech sales, especially um, in, in, on teams that, um, you know, have an SDR model. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I think that there are instances when that model works well, depending on, you know, a bunch of different things like the business model and the go-to-market strategy and, you know, whatever, a bunch, again, a bunch of other things. That said, more often than not, I, I think we, we try to take that role and that function and like shove it into like a square peg when, you know, because Salesforce is doing it or Ryan Walsh, who's like so cool and very, very special. Um, and I'm being dead serious. Hi, Ryan. Um, he was one of the first to create an SDR um, function at channel director in the early 2000s. But that said, we've come so far from that, that it's like become just illogical really at this point. And so that would, that would be the, the two things is one to really like, just start to ask more questions about the status quo, let go of the experiences that you've personally had that with this model, probably um, that, that worked for you. And that is, makes it extra difficult to let go of because um, you know, those emotions are, are tied to it. And, but you know, shit changes. That's the only guarantee and shit changes fast. So being able to remain curious and open and listen to your people, go ask questions, like find out, um, what's going on. Hell, you know, I love looking at the handoff process between the SDRs and the AEs. And I oh, realized yeah. that we're having, like the, like I see red Richard, when I realized that yeah. the, the clients are having identical conversations on both sides, because, you know, for like, whatever. And so yes. not only is the friction felt right on the sales floor between the teams, right. And we've seen it all play out in a bunch of different ways. You got the annoying shit of having leads push back down onto SDRs, which means that, and I really don't like hearing that because that means they don't have control over their income and what the fuck. And then, you know, the, the lion's share of the brunt of the friction and like the duplicitous nature or, you know, one of the eight forms of waste rework is borne by the clients. And it's, it's so insane to me because like when I, when they, when you get a, you study process improvement, there are principles, right? And the first principle of process um, design and process improvement is that value flows at the pull of the client. 
and sales processes and lead processes. These are processes that are, are, you know, that are subject to the first principles of process. And yeah, anyway, um, I'll, was that good enough for you? I'm going to ask you one last question um, in a minute. Um, But I obviously got to give our our show off to Salesforce, Sales Cloud, and Gong.io and E411. Um, thank you for sponsoring us and Amy, thanks for being here. Here's our, you know, we always end our show with this question, which is. Oh, I, I, I do know the question. Yeah, thank you sponsors. I just want to say thank you for sponsoring my episode with my friend, Richard. Uh, <laughs> uh, what can we do for you? What question would you like to ask? Now that, now that you're a podcaster, right? Ask the question, where can, we, where can we be of help, support, whatever it is. So this is like insider information. When, how long do you guys, I know you don't do a lot of, you do fast and full of flaws, which is like, I told, I stole Scott's motto. That's like, I, even though I was, I stayed up all night listening to music. I know it's so good though, but I, I, I relapse often my perfectionist ways. It's, it's like, uh, you know, it's like pulling me back anyway. So, um, I'm doing a hotline. like Dr. Drew Adam Carolla style. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, so that would be, you asked about what would be helpful. And so that would be the biggest thing. You know, my why is of course the ICs, the individual contributors, the front lines, period, end of story. And we, the podcast is called Revenue Real, and it's a series of uncomfortable conversations, um, in sales and whether this means buyers or bosses or right. peers or family members anyway. So the hotline, um, is going to be a live call in aspect and, you know, it's going to be a segment on the show. And so that would be the big thing that I would ask for help is just getting the word out. That's cool. So, so you're going to go live on LinkedIn about it? Or you're just gonna no, 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 no. Um, yeah, so this is, these are the things that I'm going through. I had it, I was going to, I was totally happy with a Google voice and a voicemail. I had all the transcripts set up. I paid the extra 10 bucks a month. I tested. Um, and then I can't remember who it was. It was either Colin Mitchell or like Jeff Bajork. One of them was just like, it was probably Colin. This sounds like a Colin thing. So now I'm trying to figure out like the, the logistics to make it happen. But I found the right platform, I believe, which is called, um, I always want to say Rainmaker FM, but it's not that. It's something with an FM. Now, I did record one in here. However, my um, my audio levels were like terrible, and I actually had to record it again. So hopefully, I'll have better luck next time. But anyway, it's going to be you know the the software that I went with. I'm able to create like guest links, and since I'm going to be you know manning the hotline with a guest, a different guest every week it's going to be based on a certain period, right? In the same way that we were booked for a while or whatever. So I will, you know, make sure that the callers know what time we're going to be going live and be ready in the queue. Cool. And if, I would expect at least a solid month of iterations before, you know, like I myself would get in that queue just to like put it out there. But, you know, who doesn't want to be a beta, Richard? Anytime, anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for being here. Uh, for those who, you know, if you don't remember, it is Revenue Real, right? Yeah. Revenue conversations Real. about uncomfortable conversations happening in sales. So, Amy, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. And as always, great to catch up with you. A pleasure. Tell Lola I said goodbye, Richard. I will. Uh, bye. Bye.